It can become a routine part of our day, but preparing food for ourselves and our families connects us to more than simple nutrition. Food evokes memories and creates connections to our relatives, our communities, and our cultures. Some indigenous chefs are on a mission to not only reconnect native people to the healthy food of their ancestors, they're also providing a way for everyone to rethink the importance of how food is grown, harvested, and prepared. We'll discuss reinvigorating old methods for healthier diets today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. There are times when food offers comfort, solace, and happy connections to family and community. Weddings, birthdays, even funerals bring people together for a meal to honor and finalize the events of the day. But what that food is and how it's prepared can mean the difference between simply quieting and a hungry belly, or providing healthy nutritional sustenance that helps people thrive and potentially helps sustain the land that it's harvested from. So what does all this mean and who is innovating in these concepts? We've got two indigenous food experts with us today who think about these connections a lot and are working to create a healthy food future for all of us. In the studio today with me is Sean Sherman. Sean is the co-founder of North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, that's natives with an F at the end. And Sean is also a three, I just found this out, a three times James Beard award-winning chef and co-founder of Owamni Restaurant in Minneapolis. Welcome, Sean. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So awesome. And man, this three-peat with the James Beard Award, I feel like I'm in rarefied air now in the <laughs> studio. It's great to have you here. And on the line with us today is Rob Kaneen. Rob is also an Indigenous chef. He's from Alaska, and he is the Outreach Director for Natives. Hi, Rob. Hello. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being on with us. And uh, I look forward to our discussion today. You can also join us, Alaskans. Do you practice traditional harvest and preparation of local foods? Do you grow and harvest wild foods with the seasons? Do you have questions about how to more sustainably harvest for healthier cooking? Give us a call statewide at 1-800-478-8255, 1-800-478-8255. If you're in the local Anchorage area, you can call 550-8422, 550 and you can email questions or comments to talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Sean, let's start with an overview of the work you've been doing in Minnesota, and then we'll talk about why you're in Alaska right now. You were raised on the Pine Ridge Reservation. I've been to Pine Ridge. Um, I mentioned the work that I did years ago in, in the Midwest. Pine Ridge, as of course you all know, has struggled with poverty, poor health outcomes. The life expectancy is lower there for especially men. 
Talk about when you first realize how much of the problems were connected to diet. Um, I feel like I've always kind of been on that path because I've always been around healthy food in my chef career. Um, a lot of farm to table type restaurants and things like that. And, you know, I've just worked my entire life in restaurants. I started working restaurants when I was 13 years old in the Black Hills in South Dakota and then later moved to Minneapolis and became a chef and really started um, focusing on a lot of that local food. And, you know, for me, it was a few years into that chef career where I one day realized the complete absence of indigenous foods out there. And it was striking to me because growing up on a reservation on Pine Ridge in South Dakota, um, my whole family from the reservation, and knowing very little about what was actually Lakota food. And trying to understand, like, what happened, you know, what, why, why were we, why was it like that, you know, why did we not have access to these foods, why did we not know about that, you know, because I could name just a barely a handful of indigenous foods, uh, Lakota foods at that time period, and I could name thousands, you know, hundreds of European foods easily off the top of my head because of my chef career, and um, you know, just looking back at how we grew up with primarily the commodity food program, and just all the health issues out there, and I realized that we just really needed to do something different like we had to try to get this food out there so this work that we've been doing focusing indigenous foods is really focused on trying to understand what are modern indigenous foods today by understanding what were our ancestors eating and what can we be putting on our table so it was really recreating indigenous pantries and creating new recipes out of those pieces so understanding what people were growing harvesting foraging how are they preserving foods how are they getting salts fats and sugars and so the food that we present you know we took away colonial ingredients of things that were introduced to us. And we took away things like dairy, wheat flour, cane sugar, beef, pork, and chicken, and just really focused on regional indigenous diets. And it happens to be extremely healthy because it's low glycemic. There's an immense amount of plant diversity, really good fats and proteins, and just kind of the ideal thing, you know, because we're gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, soy-free, pork-free, like what all these diets are trying to get to, and we already had it. So it's really uh, rewarding to be able to present these foods and not even call ourselves a health food situation. We're just doing this, and our indigenous foods happen to be extremely healthy, and we want to do everything we can to help get that back out there, but also open up people's eyes to understand the struggles indigenous communities went through across the board um, with the effects of colonialism and how we can have healthier diets today, all of us, and learn from our indigenous um, ancestors and our indigenous communities of how we were so connected to the land, you know, not trying to be exploitive to the land, but actually living with it and understanding how it can heal and grow um, both of us, you know, as we kind of move forward. For for people that aren't familiar with the commodity food system, just give a little bit of an explanation of what that food primarily was, the huge blocks of cheese and white flour and, and um, the health impacts that are related to those types of foods. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on the commodity food program, so a lot of our staples were just government foods, you know, so we had, uh, you know, canned chicken, canned pork, canned beef, lots of bags of wheat flour, um, powdered milk, um, government cereals, government cheese, government pastas, and things like that. And it's unfortunate because that that food program, which a lot of families need and survive off of still today, because it's widely utilized in tribal communities all over the place, it's an unfortunately a very low nutritional diet and there's way too much um, carbs in that situation which just leads to obesity and heart disease and diabetes and we have all this data that showcases if that's your main form of nutrition growing up that you're going to have some some health issues you know so we want to do something better we want to showcase how people could start to utilize the land spaces around them 
better um, to take in some of the education that their ancestors had and bring that back and just make it fun by putting this healthy, amazing food and flavor on our tables today. Do you think that there could ever be a time that the government could see the light of not only supporting local agriculture, but providing healthier food in that setting? Or do you think that 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 system just needs to be sunset at some point? Well, I feel like there are um, a lot of solutions that have to come out of that to make the whole system better. The USDA is taking steps to make things a little bit better. We've been working with them with some educational videos to showcase, like, how can we put some wild foods in with some of these food offerings? But really, when it comes down to it, you know, we need a completely different system. You know, we need to be able to support indigenous food production and people who need um, who need those commodity foods, we should the government should be buying foods from indigenous peoples and then giving them back to indigenous peoples in regional settings. You know, so I use wild rice as an example because they did bring wild rice into the food program, um, but the, they send that rice all over the nation. You know, from all the way up here in Alaska, all the way down to the southwest, and but it you know it taps out the the it taps out like how much rice is grown there. Minnesota region and it's hard for us to get rice in our own region now because of that program and you know people in the southwest or people up here like they don't have that connection to that kind of particular piece so it needs to be a lot more regional so I'm hoping that as we continue forward and working with groups like the USDA that we can help steer possibly um, some of these programs into the future to think about better ways um, to make it all work and give us foods that are really mean something to us you know as, uh, as so much diversity of indigenous peoples as we know it you know there's 574 uh, federally recognized tribes across the U.S. And we are so diverse, you know, and that's the biggest part of this food is understanding that diversity. Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> interesting to hear you mention wild rice because a friend of mine sends me wild rice every year. We trade. I send salmon. He sends me rice. And I brought some to a friend of mine in Juneau who was, um, she's clinking. She was preparing for celebration down there last month. And so I brought her some wild rice. I said, here, you're cooking for a lot of people. I brought you some wild rice. And she said, how do I cook it? <laughs> and I thought, oh, right, of course. You know, it's not <laughs> something that you're familiar with. So that makes sense that it would be better to focus on the local foods of the region mm -hmm. so that people both uh, are better nutritionally supported by that area and also the people who are gathering those foods can uh, also be supported. If you're just joining us, we're talking about better diets, healthier diets with two indigenous chefs today. Sean Sherman is the co-founder of the North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems Natives and a James Beard triple James Beard award-winning chef and co-founder of Awamni Restaurant in Minneapolis. And Rob Kinane is also an indigenous chef. Rob is from Alaska, and he is the outreach director for Natives. Rob, I want to get you in here now. Describe your own culinary journey and what first interested you in a professional career in food. I don't understand. Um, so I'm not 100% sure why but i just always knew i was going to be in the service industry i didn't have any i didn't grow up with it in my family or anything like that um young memories like i was just i was born in the southeast so a lot of uh berry picking clam digging um family bartering fish for venison and things like that um that was kind of a big impact uh but i went to culinary school when i was 18 and moved down to new orleans um <clears throat> moved back to Alaska for a couple of years, uh, North Carolina for five years, Durham, uh, Durham, 
and then moved back to Anchorage for 15. And that was kind of the banner part for me where the last like eight years, seven, eight years that we were living here, I was doing a lot of work with uh, the farm to table movement in Alaska. And I was doing a video series. One of the chefs or one of the farmers that, that we were working with said, you know, Alaska is a food desert. 96% of our food is imported. And I just thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm clink it. Like, how could that be? How could we be in a desert when we have like thousands of years of history here? And that's kind of when I just started looking, uh, kind of changing my mission and priorities um, and kind of under a banner of health and wellness, did a lot of work with traditional foods and indigenous foods around the state. And Rob, you're probably aware of the fact that um, the Alaska Native Medical Center here in town, they do offer some more uh, variety in that regard when it comes to traditional foods, seal and seal oil and and um, salmon and other things that they are offering to people there that are coming in for health treatments. Yes, um, we, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Chef Amy and, uh, and the work that she's doing there and how she's navigating that. But I think that's kind of what we need to do is also pay attention to how we can work within some of the confines of the system. Um, there's also a guy, his name is Cyrus, that works uh, up in Kotzebue at a place called the Sigliac. <laughs> Excuse me. And he has, um, he's processing indigenous foods in a USDA approved facility uh, so he can offer traditional foods to people. Um, so if I'm out hunting and I get, uh, you know, if I if I shoot two seal and I need one, I can donate one to the community. And I think that those are kinds of things that need to be sort of uh, understood um, and then celebrated and, you know, hopefully replicated. That's as my job as the outreach director, there's a few different facets of, of work that I'm doing. But one of them, I think, is finding working models that are doing doing good and um and, and, you know, letting people know about it. So that's a little bit of the reason why we're actually up here. Um, I think you were both in Cordova working on something that was described in an earlier interview as EAC initiatives. What are they? Well, we were down there with uh, Native Conservancy and also friends of ours from NDN Collective out of Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, and they're just doing a lot of environmental work and environmental protection and just really trying to uh, showcase like um, how much bounty can be can come out of um, by protecting um, these ancestral land spaces, you know. And they're working on a really big project with uh, kelp farming. Um, and there's doing there have some really amazing initiatives kind of just starting up. So it was really fun to um, be down there and to catch three beautiful sunny days, which I heard was really rare down there. Yes. <laughs> and uh, um, and just to eat so much wonderful fish and to see all of their uh, all of their programs in action um, at this stage. And just uh, we're excited just to see how that grows, you know. So I think there's so many cool things happening in different parts of Alaska. And uh, we're just excited to be able to make some connections up here um, to hopefully share some of the work that we're doing also. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that in just a bit. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska, and we're talking uh, in broad terms about indigenous food sovereignty and the way forward for better health and uh, capitalizing on more local food, local ingredients, and sort of indigifying the diet uh, for people for better health. You can join our conversation statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's one 800 478 8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. So, Sean, 
Um, Awamni Restaurant uh, is one of the only indigenous restaurants in the country. How talk about how you got it started, and and then did the food lab start at the same time, or what was that process? So we have a lot of entities, so it's kind of confusing sometimes. But we have a nonprofit, which is Natives, which is you know the acronym North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems. And under Natives, we have the Indigenous Food Lab, which is a public space for us to do a lot of our food work, a lot of our training and development. Um, we are in the midst of opening up a Native market space in Minneapolis as part of the food lab and a little training classroom space where we can do a lot of digital and Indigenous-focused curriculum, which basically covers everything in the indigenous education spectrum. So identifying what is indigenous education, it's just thousands of generations of ancestral knowledge that was handed down and it hit a point of being lost around the turn of the century, especially with boarding and residential school systems and westernized education. So we really want to bring back a lot of focus on indigenous education, which is everything from hunting and fishing and foraging and harvesting and, and gardening and farming, um, like soil management and you know cooking and culinary and food preservation, but also things like music and dance and language and arts and pieces like that too. So there's so much within Indigenous education. So Awamni came about, um, I started the company this called The Sioux Chef, and it's spelled S-I-O-U-X, so it's a play on words. Lakota. Yeah, exactly. So um, The Sioux Chef I formed in 2014, um, and we've had lots of things. We had The Sioux Chef's Indigenous Kitchen Cookbook, which came out in 2018. We have a food truck called Tatanka Truck, um, and and uh, we did a large catering uh, operation. I've been doing um, public speaking engagements for years now, going all over the nation and even world and sharing our focus on indigenous foods. Um, there's a TED Talk that's been watched a few million times. You can find out online um, and just kind of see what the work we do. Um, and, you know, so it's been really interesting. And both of these situations kind of formed uh, the, the restaurant, Awamni, um, was about four, four years in the works um, because uh, we um, are a part of this brand new space in Minneapolis, right on, the, right along the Mississippi River, um, overlooking what used to be these beautiful waterfalls downtown Minneapolis, or what is downtown Minneapolis today. And the Dakota people called those waterfalls Awamni Yamni, which meant place of the falling, swirling water. And um, the name for the Mississippi River in Dakota meant uh, River of the Falls, meaning that one space, because it was the only waterfall on the whole river. And it was spectacular because it was about 300 feet across and about 40 feet down, and it was a really beautiful space. But when colonial industry moved in and all the lumber mills and things, it ruined that natural feature. So today, like where those waterfalls all are, it's just a lock and dam and concrete skirting. And it's not, it's far from what the beautiful place is. But we feel very lucky because our first restaurant concept using indigenous foods with a decolonized mindset happens to be right on the shores of that very sacred ancestral space where there even was a Dakota village there for who knows how long. Um, and it was just, uh, it's such a touching and wonderful space to be able to reclaim a name right there on that space, which is what became downtown Minneapolis. Oh, thank you so much for uh, describing the name and, and the place. Uh, that's fantastic that you can keep drawing attention to what was there. And uh, and it, it also kind of points to that larger idea of, uh, I remember once talking to someone um, at on the Cree Reservation in Canada about land that had been flooded to build a dam that was their traditional hunting and, and gathering space. And one of the people that was on this reporting junket that I was on said, engineers 
uh, like to push things around. You know, they're like kids in a sandbox, and so they like moving, using big equipment. And and it feels like there's a, a growing understanding of that may have been good or it seemed good at the time, but there's so much destruction that is caused because of a lot of those developments, um, you know, damaging fish runs and other things. It's it's great that you can kind of reclaim that name and that space. Some people may only think of indigenous foods as being salmon, caribou, moose, seals, berries, greens, when they're thinking about Alaska, and maybe buffalo, elk, walleye, and some lower 48 locations. So when you think about that, what is true North American food? You you mentioned that you've cut out all colonial food, no dairy, no wheat flour, no cane sugar, beef, pork, or chicken. Tell us, give us a, a better idea of some of those regional distinctions when it comes to uh, a healthy indigenous diet of the land. Well, I mean, we look at indigenous foods as a global issue because there's obviously indigenous peoples all around the world that were also affected by colonialism. And so we look at primarily North America. So our main focus is basically Mexico through Alaska. And we look at agriculture with crops like corns and beans and squash and sunflower seeds and things like that and all the diversity amongst that, chili peppers. Um, And then we look at all the wild foods and all the different diversities there because we look at people who lived in desert areas or mountain areas or coastal coastal regions or Arctic or Tropic, you know, and there's just so much plant and biodiversity out there. And then just looking at how indigenous peoples were for surviving so long and finding commonalities, but also understanding those diversities. And there's just so much out there, you know, and um, someplace like Alaska, which is just so immense, you know, it's hard to fathom. And there's just so much amazing biodiversity here. And people, um, you know, there's still what, 229 federally recognized yes. tribes in Alaska, which just got state recognition a couple days. That's ago, right. which is crazy, right? Um, but um, there's just so much cool foods out there that people were utilizing, you know, and humans love food, humans love flavor, and there's so much of it all over the place, you know. So like where I was born um, on Pine Ridge Reservation in the Dakota region and around the Black Hills, like, you know, our diets were different because we traded with agricultural tribes that were growing a lot of corns and beans and squash and sunflowers and things like that. We also had a lot of game, we had a lot of fresh fish and just tons of wild foods. You know, there's greens, there's tubers, there's wild garlics, wild gingers, wild onions, all sorts of berries. And using trees, we use a lot of things like, like conifers, like c- cedar and spruce and tamarack and, you know, and balsam firs and things like that. You know, there's just so much food around us. You know, so when, when you look at when you look at the world through an indigenous perspective, like all you see is food and medicine everywhere, and we want to showcase people like that's the true food of North America. You know, <clears throat> and it's just understanding like what was introduced later and you can't really understand American food unless you understand the indigenous backbone of it all how people had survived here for millennia utilizing just what was around us you know and being a part of this environment again and not trying to just extract for the sake of making monetary value but actually living with the plants and the animals around us and understanding and that that deep respect that indigenous peoples have to the land and um, to the food you know and there's just so much We just see so much uh, um, future in indigenous foods for people to understand this. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. We are going to go to the phones um, and take a call from Hunky, who is in Wasilla. Hello. Hello. uh, Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Yeah, my name is Hunky Lee. Uh, I'm running for U.S. Senate in Alaska, and uh, I'm in Wasilla, Alaska, and I want to express my appreciation of uh, Alaska Native culinary arts 
So Alaska native was also lower 48, also Hawaii. The Alaska, the natives of America, uh, for thousands and thousands of years, they accumulated this great corpus of knowledge of how to hunt, trap animals, and what plants are edible. So I studied extensively. Like, uh, it's just amazing culture. I want to show my appreciation of this wonderful native culture. All right. Well, thank you so much for the call. We appreciate it, and uh, please stay tuned, and I'm sure you'll learn a lot more as the program continues on. So um, I, I want to get uh, Rob back into the conversation here. Rob, when you think about the question that I just asked about when people think of indigenous foods, talk a little bit about uh, your upbringing in Alaska and the foods of your culture and, and what you've learned about the other the other native folks uh, across the state and the foods that they have been harvesting for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Sean really summed it up well there. Um, you know, it's so just the whole circle is that I actually left Alaska in 26, 17. Um, so I've been living in Durham, North Carolina, and I've been doing some work probably one or two times a year that would bring me back to Alaska. Um, <clears throat> but as outreach director for natives, I'm actually, super humbled um because i like i went to a lakota food festival in february and it's just you know i mean i kind of know a few basics but it's like there's people that are intimately knowledgeable of that area that grew up with that area have generational you know um being there and it's just you know so it's really it, it is kind of fascinating to see the the diversity of everything across the country i live in north carolina um very close to the Okanichi Band of Saponi. And um, again, I'm really excited to just kind of actually have this be my my primary being, not my secondary passion. Um, but as far as Alaska itself, um, you know, I was born and raised in Petersburg. Well, I was born in Petersburg and I lived in Nome for a year in the second grade, uh, third or fourth grade. So that was kind of crazy because I went from this like lush rainforest to kind of an Arctic desert. Right. And I think it took a few years to really understand the beauty of Nome, or I've had some chances, again, under a banner of health and wellness, I've done media work and um, cooking clinics, talks, um, events, caterings. Um, <laughs> one time I, one time I, I helped, uh, I, I did a, um, I did an award ceremony in Unocleet. And uh, so I flew up there and they're like, I, there's a, there's a kitchen in the church. And it's like, okay. And, uh, you know, I cooked for like 150 people and, you know, you're just kind of really silently praying that the oven actually works and things like that. <laughs> um, you know, and they're like, I don't think we've ever had a caterer in Unicleet before. Um, <clears throat> so it was, it's, it's really fascinating to kind of see, um, just again, the, 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 difference of the even the biodiversity in Alaska is so different like what people eat in you know in Utagavik is so different from Ketchikan you know and I've I've never spent any time out on the Aleutian Islands um but it's just kind of amazing you know what when you're in the interior versus the coast um and I think that's kind of some of the that's the exciting part for me um, and I think kind of going back to also like the EAC initiative with the Native Conservancy, one of the really awesome things that I think that they're doing and something that I think has been grossly misoverlooked is that there's, um, they're actually creating an economic model that will stimulate economy in rural Alaska um, based on indigenous initiatives and knowledge, but also it's like um, stewardship is in the model. 
like growing kelp and having some stay in the water to fight the comp, you know, to combat climate change, for example. <clears throat> Those were the kinds of practices that I think happened consistently with bison. Like, you know, you don't hunt the trophy in the front, you hunt the ones in the back. And just mm -hmm. these things that happen, you know, don't, when you're foraging, you don't take all of it, you take, you know, a quarter or a third. Um, so I think the mindfulness and the comprehension of that is really important. Um, and I've been doing this for probably about four months now. And it's just been, um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, I was telling, I was in Menominee, Wisconsin, and I mentioned like, I've been cooking for over, for almost 30 years and been a chef for over 20. And I learned more in that weekend working with indigenous people in a small part of the country than I have in, in years. Um, you know, whether it be how they handle their food, um, the types of food they have there. I mean, it was really eye-opening and, and just amazing. And it's also just heartwarming to see people ex like be so excited and stimulated about offering knowledge that they have that they just kind of take for granted in a way. Mm. Um, so I think those are the big, big takeaways for me. Absolutely. Um, and we are, need to take a quick break here soon, but I want to get another call on before we do that. Marty is in Metlakatla and he's on a saner. So hi, Marty. Hello, hello. Good to hear you folks. I am. I really appreciate your uh, program. It, it hits all the natives throughout the whole state of Alaska system. You're doing a good job. I just wanted to let you know what my mother, my great mother, down here in Mount Lakeala said about subsistence. When people are Indian passing, they're all really doing their thing in their village, in their clan, and they're, they're really doing their thing. She said that. She said it's all. Oh, we're losing you, Marty. Your connection is oh, no. breaking up. Yeah. You hear me yet? Can you hear? We can hear you now. Oh, yeah. I, that the subsistence was most important out of everything at all. Um, it's uh, when you have your fish, your deer meat, your moose, everything that's gotten in the state of Alaska by all the natives is the most important thing that they have. The way the fuel is, the way the prices are. You think that back in Washington, they wouldn't, they'd worry about whether who's, who's hungry and who's cold, not who's Democrat and who's Republican, because if they listened to the natives, they would all get along and they'd all eat good. But, you know, the, the country's just so divided, it's hard to see. The global warming, well, the, the way you come up to Alaska and it's still pretty darn cold, so... Whatever happening there is uh, is just happening. Weather's been weather forever. Weather doesn't change. Man can't change weather. So I don't know what they're doing thinking about weather so much when everybody's starving and hungry. Well, anyway, the subsistence, though, is the most important thing that natives have. And, I, and everybody that's fighting for them throughout the state of Alaska, I'm very proud of them. And uh, for all my friends in the state, I got friends from one part of the state, to the other. I got wonderful friends in Heidelberg, Cake, Craig, Thorn Bay, all up and down the coast, Huna, Juno. I wanted to say hello from Marty Martinez Sr., from everybody that I know in the state. God bless you all, and uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And you guys that are doing the subsistence, you chef, keep cooking. Go to all the native villages. Hit them all. Get <laughs> As much as you can, cook for everybody, brother. Go, go eat all that too. Too, you got to sample it too, chef. Got to sample it. You can't just cook it. You all right. 
All right, Marty. Well, thank you for a very enthusiastic phone call. It was great to hear from you. Be safe out there on that saner, and uh, thanks so much. You are listening to Talk of Alaska, and we are going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more information about indigifying the food system uh, as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP, it's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We are talking about indigenous food sovereignty and the way forward for doing a better job of eating more healthy, eating more locally, and also uh, making sure that the stewardship of the land is a big part of the consideration, land and the waters, as um, we're doing those things with local foods. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255. That's the number statewide, 1-800-478-8255. If you're at Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. Our guests today are Sean Sherman, who is the co-founder of North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, Natives, and uh, is also a triple James Beard winning chef and cookbook author and co-founder of Awamni Restaurant in Minneapolis and the Indigenous Food Lab. Rob Kaneen is on the line with us as well. And Rob is an indigenous chef from Alaska, and he is the current outreach director for Natives. So I wanted to find out, when you, when you talk about food sovereignty, what does that really mean? Um, Sean, start us off and then... Uh, we'll bring Rob in, and, and uh, I see we have Dana on the line. We'll bring her in, too, in just a minute. Well, when we're talking about food sovereignty, it's really just working towards food security when it comes down to it, because, you know, indigenous peoples worked really hard as a community food system to, to make sure that there was enough food um, to feed everybody in the entire community, and everybody did something for the food system, whether you're, you're foraging, you're gathering, you're hunting, you're fishing, you're preserving, you're teaching the next generation how to do all this stuff, you're um, gardening, farming, whatever it might be, everybody played a role in some way or another. And I think it's just really important when we think about indigenous food sovereignty that there's certain things that we need to be able to have to like accomplish true food security, right? So we need healthy food access, we need cultural food producers, we need regional food systems, we need local control of our food systems, which means non-governmental control and allowing our, our named indigenous communities to really make those decisions about what they do with their foods themselves. We need access to indigenous 
indigenous education, which is giving us all the tools and resources of thousands of generations of how they've done it before. And we also need environmental protections, you know, to be able to have clean water, to have access to land, to be able to harvest and to be able to help forests regrow and to uh, make sure that just all the ecosystems out there are functioning properly um, and understanding how we can be symbiotic with those systems, you know, and understanding the connection and the respect that needs to go into it. So when we can check off those boxes, then we can start working towards true food sovereignty when it comes down to it, you know. So to, it's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big piece to all of this. But humans, we just believe, need food to survive. And we shouldn't put monetary value on all food because some people can't afford food. Some people don't have the ability to provide for themselves, whether physically, monetarily, or whatnot. Um, but everybody deserves food and everybody deserves healthy food, you know. So we just really want to work towards systems where some of our Indigenous communities who have struggled for so long, um, who have really high rates of unemployment and all sorts of um, just just, you know, struggle when it comes down to it. We just want to make sure that food can be something, you know, because we could be planting food in communities all over the place. We should be utilizing permacultural designs and just putting food everywhere, you know, um, and just like making sure that everybody has access to foods and making it more of a community process, like getting people to work together for food so that they could produce all that food for themselves, you know. So we just think that there are solutions out there um, when it comes to hunger, when it comes to food. Um, and I feel like we waste a lot of space and we let a lot of space get destroyed by big industries and we um, have to do better oh you know you've laid that out so beautifully and it's just the, the the whole concept that you've described is so transformative because as we know when people have better diets they feel better they're more you know they're healthier both physically and emotionally um, they can do more with their lives. I mean, it benefits everyone if people are healthier. If we have a healthier society, less obesity, less heart disease and diabetes and other things, that's just can be transformative for all of us. Absolutely, and it's so easy. And I think this food is such a great language for us to utilize because it's something that we all get, you know. So, you know, just go out there and like make a firewood and Sitka conifer tea with maybe sweeten it with a little bit of honey. And just see how that feels on your system compared to like drinking a big soda or something like that, you know. And you're, util you're utilizing what's right outside your door, you know. And I think it's just important for people to understand the how much power the plants have, you know, how much health are out is out there for us. And you know, people just like to call everything a weed because they don't know what it is. But indigenous peoples, they knew exactly what these things were, how to harvest, when to harvest, which parts to harvest, and what it did for our health, you know, because it was food and medicine all at the same time. Time. And we can get back there just by simply implementing it, you know, and moving forward with that. And we have all these food sh shortage supplies and food costs are just rising, you know, and compared to the lower 48, like food is really expensive up here, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we're surrounded by food that nobody's utilizing. You know, there's all this <clears throat> flavor around us. And I don't, I wouldn't, I, I haven't seen any of it on any menu around here, you know. So we can do better. And, you know, we're just trying to showcase uh, methods and ways and our, the philosophy that we have around indigenous foods and how it can help heal all of us. Well, and even in urban settings like Anchorage, I've for years I, I love to go out and harvest 
um, berries and different plants for teas and and um, salves that I make, and it's so much fun too mm-hmm. to go out there and watch. Oh, this is coming up now, and there's a lot of books that folks can avail themselves of to start off simply and and just get out there with your kids and and help them connect to those plants and things that are growing so that they better understand where does food come from and or even apps. You know, you can just like right? nowadays just take a picture of a plant and your phone will tell you what it is. Yes, you know, with yeah. pretty good accuracy. So. Yeah. Those are really those are really fun. So uh, let's bring Dana Thompson in. She's on the line with us now. She is the co-founder with Sean of Natives. Hello. Hello. I'm Dana Thompson. I'm uh, the co-founder of Natives um, in the Indigenous Food Lab, and I'm a lineal descendant of the Dakota here in uh, the Twin Cities. I'm also the co-owner of the company, The Sous Chef, co-owner of Owami, and I'm just really happy to share the story with you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, when Sean was just talking about uh, the importance of food sovereignty and he mentioned, you know, government systems and how that's changed the the setting for uh, Native people, especially. I remember years ago, an Ojibwe tribal activist... uh, uh, that was a friend of mine, the late Walt Brazette, told me that Native people had thriving language, art, and cultural teaching for teachings for younger people because before white government regulations, they had more time. When they needed a fish, they got one. Regulations kind of overlaid their society and locked up resources, creating a more difficult path for getting food, licenses, and defined season requirements, the need for cash. When you think about food sovereignty, how much of food sovereignty or, or the past loss of it is connected to the formation of reservations and locking up or stopping what were once longstanding harvest traditions? Dana, do you want to take a shot at that? Absolutely. The, um, the commodity program was really set up not as a nutritional program for the indigenous communities. It was set up for a supplement program for the immigrant farmers in the United States. And, I mean, just that fact alone shows you what the intention was. And, um, you know, we have two pillars with our nonprofit. One of them is creating indigenous food access, and one of them is uh, bringing back indigenous education that was systematically removed through genocide, the boarding school process, and the continued forced oppression with our communities. And, um, you know, Rob and Sean have spoken to this really eloquently and articulately over the course of the last few minutes, but we look at the diversity of all of these foods throughout all of North America. And um, when you look at agricultural systems, uh, it's almost a dehumanization of how they Uh, how they have um, people that have written about indigenous people over the course of the last 200 years have really dehumanized them. And one of the main ways they've done that is by inferring that there was no agricultural system. Um, But it's just simply not true. And so through our nonprofit, we're doing a lot of work to to bring back really the true nature of uh, indigenous wisdom, which is sustainability and reverence for the environment. And I'm really excited to come up to Alaska tomorrow to talk to a lot of communities with Rob and Sean and our team um, about a lot of these issues. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, fantastic. Glad you're coming up as well, Dana. That's wonderful that you'll be here. Rob, let's get you back in the conversation now. I know that you're planning, you're all planning an event at the museum here, the Anchorage Museum on Thursday. Talk a little bit about what's going to be happening. 
Um, so Thursday, Sean, we're, we're all, it's going to be from 5 to 7. So uh, 5 p.m. to 6 will be kind of a meet and greet and a little uh, tasty taste situation going on. And then um, from 6 to 7, Sean will do his talk. Um, so again, I think it's just you know, this whole trip has been kind of exploratory um, with the possibility of partnerships and possible extensions of the, of the Indigenous Food Lab. So I think we're just kind of, you know, we've been that that's kind of been the whole 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 deal. Um, the Anchorage Museum stop is one um, in the in the whole midst of it, but there's going to be a women's healing potlatch that Dana will be speaking at on Saturday, and um, and then kind of a seed sharing uh, conference on Monday, and that'll be through um, Taiwanic uh, Village Initiative. All right, that sounds fantastic. What a great lineup of uh, events you've got coming up here over the the next few days. I wanted to get, we need to take another short break, but I wanted to get a, a quick email in here before we do. This is from Carrie, who is in Ketchikan. She says, I'm a primary teacher in Ketchikan and would love to get this in my classroom school at the little kid level. She says, does Rob have any connections in our area that can help us with talks to the kids, plant identification, etc.? She says, Gunal Cheese, Carrie. Um, I do have family in, in uh, Ketchikan, but I don't know that they'd be the ones to do that. I think that's some of the effort again, like, you know, I think for us, it's just collecting, collecting data, this information right now and kind of making, you know, making things work. And sometimes um, one of the things I get overwhelmed with is like the sheer mass of, of um, opportunity to do my job. And, you know, and then you kind of compound that even Alaska, it's crazy because you're, you're here and there's so many different regions and like you know we're just saying like the, the diversity here is so great so i know it's all something we're working on i know there is information out there as well and initiatives and i think that instead of just coming in and doing that work we're actually going to try and find again partners that are doing the work that we can maybe coordinate with as well yeah and that's, support sounds like a, a better pathway to success we're going to take another quick break when we come back we'll continue our discussion about indigenous food sovereignty and the way forward for a healthy healthier diet for all as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strong Hearts Native Helpline is a free 24-7 confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Alaska Natives. Help is available by calling or texting 1-844-7-NATIVE or using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org. This message is sponsored by the Strong Hearts Native Helpline. Are you ready to start accelerating your child's future through education? The Alaska Native Science and Engineering Program is expanding its reach with new opportunities in Juneau and Southeast Alaska. With ANSEP's Acceleration Academy, high school students can earn college credit, save thousands of dollars in college costs, and experience fun, hands-on learning. ANSEP. It's a better way to learn. Learn more and enroll at ansep.net slash acceleration. This message sponsored by ANSEP. 1-800-478-8255 is the number statewide if you'd like to join our conversation today about indigenous food sovereignty and the way forward for healthier diets for everyone. 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550 8422 
550-8422. You can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org, as June did. June says she's originally from St. Lawrence Island. She says, our island privately owned by shareholders such as myself. We have free-range reindeer transplanted by the Sami people. Our reindeer are FDA-approved now and can be sold in certain businesses. We also fish the ha- for halibut for Norton Sound Economic Development Corporation. She says, so we are finally getting a little bit of money for our local villages. Now I'm interested in kelp farming for our village. Any ideas how to start this? Thank you for this show. And I know that both of you probably aren't experts on kelp farming, but um, maybe June should reach out to the EAC folks about. Yeah, they should reach out to Dune and those guys down at Native Conservancy um, down in Cordova because they have a really massive plan. um, And I think that they might be able to point them in the right direction. Yeah. So June, reach out to Dune Lankard in uh, Cordova. He's... um, working all the time on this wonderful project. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. So, Sean, the nonprofit Food Lab supports a Wamni restaurant. How uh, does I, that work? Uh, no, or, the 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 restaurant right? yeah, the restaurant itself is its own entity. It's part of our for-profit company and, you know, for us the restaurant's just a proof of concept that we can have a decolonized restaurant and it can be popular, it can be healthy and it can be good. Um, and it does all the things that we want it to do and we can utilize it as a training space. But the Food Lab is uh, designed to do something different. So we opened up our indigenous food lab in Minneapolis um, with the goal of working with tribal communities all around us in in that region and helping them to develop their own healthy indigenous food ways, utilizing their language, the foods that's um, culturally relevant and regional and seasonal to them, and just helping them. We can help them develop recipes and menus, and it could be, um, you know, something out of a community center. We could help somebody create a restaurant or a cafe within their community. Um, they could We could help them with a market space, just whatever it might take to get some healthy food access out there. And then our goal was always to replicate the Indigenous Food Lab and move it all around North America. So right now we are actively looking at opening up one someplace in uh, Anchorage. Um, cause That's we want, very exciting. Yeah, because we want a regional center point for the region to be able to help develop more indigenous foodways and help with a lot of education and support and training um, so we could start to see a lot more indigenous foodways moving forward um, and seeing a lot more indigenous food producers come out of this um, and creating distribution points too. We're doing the same thing in Bozeman, Montana, um, Rapid City, South Dakota, um, We're hoping to have one uh, possibly in Albuquerque, maybe Chicago, and we're just going to keep growing and growing as we go. And eventually we can cross colonial borders. We can be in Canada or we can be down in Mexico or we can be over in Hawaii. We can be way over in Australia, New Zealand or beyond. You know, there's just so much opportunity to help develop. Um, So but we're just getting started um, and we're excited to start creating these first couple extensions and just seeing what kind of support we can create um, and the development that will come out of it. I'm uh, really excited to learn about that. I feel like we're breaking some news here that you're looking to start uh, one of the food labs here in Anchorage. That'll be very exciting information for folks. Yeah, so our food lab concept, um, you know, it's scalable, but, you know, it'll be some place where we have a large commercial kitchen where we could do a lot of food relief. We could do co-packing. Um, we can have a market space where the public can come and have access to purchasing indigenous food products. It could have some kind of food entity um, attached to it, like a cafe or a small restaurant where there could be access to uh, more access to foods and just showcasing, you know, that having that space to train people to do that um, and the classroom. So we can just do a lot of digital curriculum and education, share it with people all over the place um, and just have that going on all the time. You know, I was thinking about what Dana said about the 
the long history, of course, of indigenous cultures uh, thriving and having their own systems of agriculture and other things. And I'm reminded of a story from a few years ago on the Menominee Reservation in Wisconsin where they found a clay ball that had been buried. Uh, you're probably aware of this. Yeah, we were just full there. <laughs> of squash seeds that were, they figured, at least 3,000 years old. And they were some of the seeds were given to um, a, a late relative now of mine who grew some of those squash. And I, I got a, I had an opportunity to see them when I was back visiting in the Midwest. And they were just these enormous squash of like I'd never seen before. But so exciting to think that they were still viable after all those years. And the folks that I talked to about it speculated it was because of the way that they were encased in this clay ball that, you know, got just enough moisture but not too much. And just fascinating. Yeah, we know that squash well. It's called Getiocosamin. And it looks like a lot of some of the east squa- eastern squash. Um, they're just they're vibrant orange. And this one's like really large and long. Like it's just this really long giant squash. And I think we've had some of them that have been about 40 pounds or something like that. They're pretty massive, you know. Um, they look a lot like Buffalo Creek squash out of the northeast. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool and just indigenous agricultural products out there. When you think about um, spreading this knowledge and curriculum and and, uh, the food labs out across the country, what do you think, and, and I would ask all of you in our final few minutes here for your thoughts on this, what do you think is is really possible for the future? Is it possible to to think in terms of a radius of what, 50 miles food production for a local area? Is that what you're hoping to achieve, something along those lines? And and do you think that that could happen? Yeah, I mean, we're hoping to help um, think about solutions and working with sustainable growing systems, you know, whether it's agriculture, permaculture, um, or using some wild foods in a really careful manner to not overburden um, those ecosystems either. Um, That's why permaculture, we feel like, is so much better because we could just fill giant plots with areas and just grow food that's natural to these regions. But we also need these commercial kitchens and these training to be able to know what to do with all these foods, you know, like how do you harvest fireweed and which parts do you use and what's safe and things like that, you know, and how can we safely use things like red elderberry or something like that. There's all these lessons that we can utilize um, to get there. So it's going to create a lot of smart people, hopefully people smarter than us (laughs) and that that we can work with and, um, you know, just get this moving, you know, and um, showcasing this food in real time, especially in restaurant settings or catering or something like that just I think opens up people to a lot of thoughts you know mm-hmm. and again like food food is the language um, and we're just excited to do this work and share it with people up here food is the language uh, Rob your thoughts your vision for the future what you want to see in the next in the coming decades um, I just think about like when I was in the in culinary school in the 90s and this whole new concept of American regional cuisine came out and, um, you know, you kind of break food down by the culture of the country. And I mean, this is just like a microcosm of that. And I think that also that microcosm needs to be looked at and adjusted for um, locale in the sense, like in Alaska, I've long maintained, like we shouldn't be accepting macro goods. We should be producing micro goods. And I think that in and of itself would create, you know, it would stimulate an economy. It would just stimulate, you know, awareness, a pride, a dignity about traditional foods and local foods. Um, and I think, I think, you know, and that would just kind of balance out a lot of the right, the, the situation that's going on right now. And I think that the, like the, the, 
space that we have, like, you know, the, 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 the problem in Alaska, again, is like with the rural areas, um, they're so far away, but that is kind of the same thing. Even if you're in Wisconsin on the Menominee Nation, you're still kind of far away from population. So I think that kind of raising awareness of that and then also how to work around that is is imperative. So mm. that's kind of what I hope to see. And I, I'm going to give Dana the final word here. But before I do, uh, we did have an email that is a important reminder uh, from Charles writes with the salmon crashes in Western Alaska, there have been several groups that have stepped up to provide salmon to folks who can't fish. This replaces the nutritional value that's been lost, but it doesn't provide the cultural connection that comes from harvesting and processing the catch. Such an important point and something that uh, we've been seeing a lot of reporting on, these salmon troubling salmon runs and crashes uh, and have had a lot of reporting from KYUK and, and other member stations about this. We will be looking at that more in depth as uh, Alaska Insight starts in September. That's going to be one of our first programs will be on uh, how people are coping with the loss of that cultural connection to the fish that they've uh, relied on for generations. Dana, when you think about the future uh, in just about 30 seconds or so, what would you like to see? My focus is really um, on the mental health aspects of how connection to your ancestral foods um, is just so Oh, your so connection. Important. Can you, maybe if you move, your connection will be a little better. We're kind of losing you. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? It's still a little bit bad. I'm sorry about that. All of a sudden, it was fine before, but suddenly um, we're having trouble with the connection. That happens sometimes. Uh, sorry about that, but glad that you're going to be on your way to Alaska. Um, Sean, what uh, what do you want to leave folks with? Your final thoughts here? I just, you know, um, the work that we do is just making people aware of um, the just how much amazing knowledge Indigenous people still hold today, especially around foodways. Um, and there's still a lot of work that we need to do, um, all of us together. And, you know, we can just have a better understanding of the importance of the land that we're standing on, the histories of the land that we're standing on, um, and just have a lot more empathy towards Indigenous communities and all the struggles that they've gone through. And again, food, again, is just that path, you know, so we're excited. Um, hopefully people can see it as more common to find Indigenous foods made by Indigenous people all over the state. Well, and just uh, it's such a great way to lead forward into the future, into a more environmentally healthy future um, in all aspects, both uh, human health and, and animal and plant health as well. Thank you so much to our guests today, Sean Sherman and Rob Kaneen. We also heard from Dana Thompson, all of them with Natives, North American Traditional Indigenous Food Systems, and the James Beard Award-winning restaurant, Awamni, in Minneapolis. Thanks to our engineer, Tobin Shelby, our producer, Adlin Baxter, and on the phones today, Laura Fillion. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.
Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Thank you.